Ramble. I don't really like doing chores around the house, I'm going to be honest with you, and I especially used to hate doing laundry. It was just one of my more tedious tasks. It takes so much time, and I often feel tempted to not even bother sorting out my clothes. But I've been trying to motivate myself to get a lot more organized, and I finally found a way to make doing my chores so much more interesting, so much more engaging, and that's by listening to audiobooks on Audible. You guys know me, there is nothing like playing a good psychological thriller. So obviously, that's what I've been listening to. I'm currently listening to The Housemaid by Frida McFadden. The main character, Millie, is out on parole and she's desperate for a job. She doesn't have any money. She's living out of her car and she gets this opportunity to be this rich family's housemaid. Millie agrees even though there's just something really strange about the Winchesters. Especially the wife, Nina. She just seems to love finding ways to make Millie's life very difficult. The family is hiding something and Millie is hiding something and there's just so much tension between Millie and the husband. It's one of those stories that you can't stop listening to and I can't wait to finish it and start the next audiobook in this series. But if Thriller is not your thing, don't worry. Audible lets you pick from thousands of titles to find the perfect soundtrack to your day. You can find audiobooks from any genre, fiction, nonfiction, wellness, self-help. But they also have podcasts like this one, guided wellness programs, comedy, and originals. Living life without using Audible is like eating food with no seasoning. Sure, you still get your nutrients in, but it's missing that extra flavor, you know? So if you want to spice up your day, I highly recommend Audible. Audible members can keep one title a month to keep from the entire catalog. New members can try audible now free for 30 days visit audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 that's audible.com slash rotten or text rotten to 500 500 to try audible free for 30 days bada bing bada boom it's a mini sode the topic of today's mini sode is play stupid games win stupid prizes that's my new favorite saying have you ever sat there and watched a netflix show a docu-series and you see this fbi agent that's just hounding this potential serial killer he's like who did it where are the bodies and he's screaming he's slamming his hands down on the table and you're getting frustrated as a viewer you're like what what is this he's not gonna open up to you you're not even forming a connection ask him a about his mommy he's got mommy issues what are you doing fbi agent you uh, you suck at this i could do so much better do you know how many true crime podcasts i've listened to i can do so much better at interviewing a serial killer well what if you were given the opportunity what if you could (laughs) actually sit down and interview a serial killer would you take it i was questioning myself i'm thinking to myself if an fbi agent came to me and was like hey we want you to sit in with us on this interrogation i don't think that i could say no I don't think so. I I mean, I would never get the opportunity, thank God. But I don't think that I could say no, could I? Of course, you wouldn't. No. (laughs) He said not in my house. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe when people ask the hypothetical question, if you could have one dinner date with someone, whether they're dead, they're sitting on death row, they're still alive to this day, who would you choose? I mean, we'd probably choose a serial killer, right? Definitely not a cannibal. You're like thinking Walt Disney. I'm thinking Ted Bundy. (laughs) We're on different pages. (laughs) Which it's all fun and games because, of course, these are hypothetical questions. You're not going to be able to interview these serial killers unless you're like a crazy journalist. Maybe you are an FBI agent. You're not going to be able to have dinner with Ted Bundy because he's dead. But here's something that people can do, which you really shouldn't, is write letters to serial killers. Some of the most notorious serial killers that are sitting in prison receive thousands of letters every single year from people wanting to date them, from people wanting to marry them, to have their children, from reporters, people who want to interview them, people who want to write books about them, and then people who just want to be friends with a serial killer. 
What happens when you just want to be friends with a serial killer? Well, we're going down the rabbit hole this week. We're going to be talking about a man by the name of Jason Moss, who decided that when he was 18 years old for a college thesis project, that he was going to reach out to all of these serial killers and just learn about their deepest, darkest fantasies. He wanted to know everything. So I am talking John Wayne Gacy. They've exchanged hundreds of letters, talked on the phone for an hour every single week, every single Sunday. He visited John Wayne Gacy, the clown killer, twice in prison they have pictures together he he exchanged letters with charles manson richard ramirez jeffrey dahmer henry lee lucas elmer wayne henley so many different serial killers and afterwards i mean it was just months and months of just being bombarded with these serial killers letters talking about their deepest sexual fantasies talking about what they wanted to do if they were ever released from prison and it really mentally messed him up he wrote a book on it and years passed he got his life together and you just just when this book was about to be turned into a movie he ended up taking his own life on june 6th 2006 so there's a lot of theories on this case did you know having close contact with serial killers cause him to take his own life what's going on here what's the full story now we're gonna jump right in because it's really thick but i have a couple of disclaimers the first one being that it's gonna be really graphic it's not like the other episodes we've done there's gonna be a lot of open-ended questions on this one this episode is not rooted in provable facts so we have the victim's word for it and there will be times where you begin to question some parts of the story but there will be other times where there is proof that's provided so it's all over the place and and the book's title, which is where most of this comes from, is written by Jason Moss himself and a professor. It's called The Last Victim. Now, I don't really like the title of this book. I don't agree with it. And you guys will see why I really don't like it at the end of this podcast because it gets super controversial. But other than that, I'm just going to jump right in. So we're going to start with his childhood. He was born into a working class down to earth family in Las Vegas. So his dad was a salesperson at a department store and his mom, she was a cashier at a local casino. Now he does have one younger brother. So now it's going to be Jason and Jared. And that is the family ever since Jason was young. The thing that everyone said about him is that he is just so hard to control. He is just this spunky kid. How did you even how did you even make a kid like this? He doesn't want to do the normal things like play with toys. He wants to go explore. He wants to learn these things. He wants to he wants to start a lemonade stand. What a what an entrepreneur. And right when they get into elementary school, middle school, high school, Jason does so well in school. I mean, virtually anything that he puts his mind to, he is considered overall a super ambitious kid. Now, what's interesting about his upbringing is that he was half sheltered, half not sheltered. So his mom was really, really strict on the fact that, hey, you cannot watch any horror movies. Absolutely not. Not under my roof. I don't approve of this stuff. It's going to give you nightmares. Now, at the same time, Jason's mom was obsessed with true crime. So her entire living room, her entire coffee table, the bookshelves were just cluttered with true crime books that got incredibly graphic. And she let Jason read those books. How does that work? I don't know. Maybe it has to do... I don't know. Maybe she thinks that true crime books are a learning experience because it's true. I don't know. Huh. So he would just grow up reading some of these really intense graphic books versus he's not allowed to watch the Scream movies. It's just the strangest thing ever. And he would constantly get into fights with his mom because I think both of them had this really intense controlling personality. And Jason just wanted to do whatever he wanted to do. And by the time that he's 13 years old, his mom comes home with a stack of true crime books, plops them down onto the table. And she's like, Jason, you're not going to believe this one. There's this guy. 
and he would take the skin off of the woman that he'd kill, and he would save it. He was trying to make a suit out of real human skin. He wanted to wear the suit so that he could become a woman. Isn't that crazy? So Jason, being thirteen, he's like, "Well, mom, why can't you read a cookbook?" Why are you telling me? Why are you reading this? And she says, "No, no, no, no. Here's where it gets even crazier. He kept a box of women's vaginas. What? Yeah, he made a belt out of human nipples. Can you imagine wearing that one to school? Yeah. He also had lampshades made out of human flesh. That's insane. By the way, she's talking about Ed Gein, and we did do a podcast on him. And he's like, "Mom, this is this is disgusting. No, I don't." To hear about all this sick stuff, you need to get it together. I'm gonna tell Dad that you're reading all this crap. Now, here's the thing: Jason actually genuinely was starting to get into true crime. The older that he got, I don't, I don't know if it's being exposed to true crime at a young age, but he genuinely was fascinated. He just didn't want to give his mom the satisfaction. No way, no way in hell is he going to give her the satisfaction of telling her, "You're right, true crime is interesting." Now, secondly, even if Jason were to tell his dad, his dad was just a super nice guy. That's what everyone says. Even Jason, he just usually kept really quiet and let his wife, you know, Jason's mom, run the house. She was the disciplinarian. He was the one that's like, oh, I don't know. Go ask your mom. You want to go to a sleepover? Ask your mom. Now, Jason's mom seemed to be a very unpredictable disciplinarian to the point where sometimes she would call Jason over and she'd say, "Hey, Jason, come here, come here. You've been so good, you know. And I, I noticed that you haven't had a new pair of shoes in two years. Here's a hundred dollars. Go to the mall with your friends and buy whatever shoes you want. You have been so, so good. So he's like, "What? Really?" So he he grabs his bike. He goes with his friends, rushes to the mall, picks out his new shoes, comes home, and he's like, "Everybody, sit down. I'm gonna show off my new Nike shoes." And that is when his mom looks at the shoes, looks him straight in the eye, and says, "You know what? Are you happy now?" Are you happy now, Jason, that you just always get what you want? Your father's upset because I let you spend so much money on shoes. Because you know what the hell do you even do around the house? Nothing. You're a spoiled little brat, and you think that you're the king, don't you? What? That's some toxic stuff. Yeah, so there, I think that there was just a lot going on in that house. Ever since Jason was young, you know, especially during high school, people kept telling him, "You're a natural, fearless risk taker." That's that's a compliment I've never heard. You're a natural <laughs> fearless, fearless risk, risk taker. taker. Who even comes up with a compliment like <laughs> yeah. this? And so people always encouraged him. You need to use this strength. You need to go into an occupation where you can really show this off. So he starts thinking on the suggestion of all of his teachers, his family friends. Maybe I will become a famous prosecutor one day. Maybe maybe I can be an FBI agent. You know what's better than a regular FBI agent? An FBI negotiator. Holy shit! You know what? That's what I'm gonna do. That's perfect. So in high school, he starts playing all these sports. I mean, he was a super muscular dude. Like I said, this book—he's、um, not the most lovable person. So there's a lot of parts. I think like a good sixty pages about how he's just. Super fit, super muscular, and all of these—you know—other boys in high school are going to parties and making out with girls. But he's in his room contemplating how to how to control the most dangerous minds in the United States. You get it. So <laughs> just, in today, it would be pick me boy.、Right? Yeah, a little bit of pick me boy vibes. Respectfully,、right. he just was good at karate, did football, did absolutely everything. So then he gets accepted into the University of Las Vegas, and he decides to major in psychology. 
like I said, he wants to get into people's minds. So his first week in college, he's not checking into a dorm. He's staying at home, commuting from home, and he's just so stressed out. Like, it's just not what he thought it would be. He's just getting a little bit frustrated. So he decides to go to his karate class. So he's meeting his karate teacher for an appointment, but the teacher's running late. Now, this time in Las Vegas is freaking hot. He doesn't want to keep the car on. You know, that's a waste of gas. So he's looking at this strip mall plaza where he has his karate class. And he's like, I just need to find some like air conditioned space for like 10 minutes while I wait. So, well, that's a dry cleaner. Oh, my God. I'm going to go into the used bookstore. So he walks in there and starts walking around. It's air conditioned. He's just killing time. And that's when he comes across the true crime section. And he's just browsing the little spines, you know, reading the titles of all these books. And a book catches his eye. The Killer Clown. John Wayne Gacy. And he's like, you know what? That's interesting because I've always been afraid of clowns. You know, his most frequent nightmare that Jason ever had was that he'd be at his grandparents' house and he'd be falling asleep and in the middle of the night he'd hear like a little noise. So he'd get up out of his bed and he'd walk down the stairs and start to investigate. But right when he looks down, his grandma is dead at the bottom of the stairs with blood dripping out of her mouth. So right as he's about to scream, he hears this creepy little <laughs> laughter and he looks around the house and there's just a freaking clown sitting on the lounge chair just pleasantly laughing and smiling this big red smile at jason and that is when jason wakes up every single time so he buys this book goes to his karate class you get it goes home and he starts reading about the killer clown and he's absolutely fascinated by this guy so john wayne gacy we did a whole podcast on him but a quick summary if you guys don't know his dad was an abusive alcoholic this is really important so john wayne gacy the serial killer that is responsible for at least 33 murders. His dad was a super abusive alcoholic who seemed to have it out for him, you know? Just really hated John Wayne Gacy. He would call him things like, you're a sissy. You're a mama's boy. You know, you're probably going to grow up to be quote, queer. But regardless of that, you know, Gacy really loved his dad, just like really loved him, wanted his approval. Now, when Gacy was young, he was sexually assaulted by a family friend and he didn't want to tell his dad because he felt like his dad would blame it on him. Now, he grows up to be heavily involved in the community, kind of similar to Jason. At 18 years old, he becomes the assistant precinct captain for the Democratic Party candidate in the neighborhood. He joined the local JCs. Remember the leadership training program for people between the ages of 18 and 40? They help you on your business development, your management skills, your individual training, your community service. And he just had a ton of career choices. Like at one point... The serial killer was managing three different KFC chains. He started his own business called PDM Contractor that he was making over like half a million dollars a year. And then he joins the Jolly Joker Clown Club and he became known as Pogo the Clown, Patches the Clown. He had two clown identities. He even met with the first lady of the United States and he had a picture with her, uh, Mrs. Carter. And he's wearing this S pin that the Secret Service gives to people who have special clearance to meet the president. And that was a huge embarrassment. But I mean, what do you expect the Secret Service to do? Dig up everybody's yard before they meet the president? So he was known to have murdered at least 33 young men and boys. Most of them were buried in the crawl space underneath his house. So his method of killing them is also really important to Jason's story. And it was brutal. He would give them drinks and drugs, lure them to his house, gain their trust and then he would say do you want to see a magic trick because i'm a clown it's the handcuff trick so he would handcuff his own hands behind his back and it seems like he might have learned a thing or two from the houston mass murderers dean coral the candy man and he would release himself magically and he would tell the kid i can tell you how to do it here put on the cuffs so then the kid would handcuff himself and then gacy would start laughing and say the trick is you have to have the key 
And then he would proceed to rape and torture the victims. He would sit on their chest to assault them. He would sodomize them with different objects like pill bottles. He would make them get on all fours like a dog, put a rope around their neck, start riding their back and making them make horse noises like neigh like a horse while he pretends to ride a horse. He would drag them to the bathroom and partially drown some of them while constantly reviving them and then drowning them and then reviving them like this guy. Why would you ever want to write to this guy is what I'm trying to emphasize. The most common method that he used to kill his victims was the rope trick. He would tie a rope around their necks. This is so important. He would put a hammer handle within the rope and he would just start twisting the hammer handle so he could tighten the rope. And he would have a lot of control over the tightening and the loosening of this. And he liked it because he could bring his victims to the brink of death and then bring them back and do it over again. Because of this, you know, one victim was convulsing for one to two hours before dying. Sometimes while he was doing this, he would sit on their chest and read them verses from the Bible. Most of his victims were between 14 to 21 years old. So Jason Moss is reading this, thinking to himself, wow, this guy's victims are basically the same age as me. This is insane. I mean, we even have the similar builds. I am built like his victims, physically speaking. And he couldn't stop wondering to himself, what would I have done if he tried to capture me? What would I have done? How would I have tried to run away? Would I survive? Probably not. Now, there are so many questions that he felt like the book didn't answer. The book answered how he killed them. You know, what he did, what he said, how he confessed to the police, how he was caught, but it didn't ask questions that Jason had, such as, did the act of killing for the 33rd time, was it any different from the 17th time or the first time? Does it get better? Does it get worse? What happens? So he goes on this massive reading spree and he starts getting bothered by all of these unanswered questions that no psychologist, no FBI agent that's interviewed for the book, they can't, they can't answer it. And are they even, he starts getting bothered by that. Are these experts, the police and these psychologists, are they even doing enough to find out the most that they can from these types of criminals? I feel like not. That's what I call a bit of an ego. So after his first week of college, he's like, yeah, this feels like an extension of high school. I'm living at home, just the same old classes. It's not that entertaining. I kind of want some excitement in my life. And, you know, like I said, he had these FBI dreams. Well, what helps? You know, what sets him apart? Everyone's going to be applying for the FBI. Everyone wants to be a CIA, FBI, three acronym agent. But I can set myself apart. If I can gain the trust of a serial killer, if that doesn't get the FBI's attention, what would? So that night at dinner, they're just like eating spaghetti. And he just randomly brings up this idea to his parents. He says, hey, uh, wait till you guys hear my latest idea. I'm going to write a letter to John Wayne Gacy, maybe even Jeffrey Dahmer. I was thinking, you know, Charles Manson, he's in prison in California. That could be fun. And it was just absolute silence. So he's like, D- did you hear me? Hello? I'm going to write a letter to a serial killer. Some of them are on death row, but they're still alive. They're going to be executed one day. And I want to I want to talk to them before they get executed. His mom's like, why on earth? Would you want to write to a killer? I mean, this is a woman who's obsessed with true crime, but she's on the right page. Why on earth do you want to write to a killer? And more importantly, why would he write back to you? Like, you're just some random kid in Las Vegas. Why would he write back to you? Mm -hmm. And they're like, yeah, well, he's not going to write back to you. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, think about it. Like, it would be so crazy. Wouldn't it be cool? How many people can say that they talk to a serial killer? 
like nobody and what's the harm they're in prison mom it's not like they're gonna get out they're on death row and so it seems like the mom's getting a little bit stressed out and the rest of the family i mean they're just making jokes the little brother who's 14 is like what if they write back in blood and the dad's like what if they ask you to send your blood what are you gonna do then and they're all giggling and the mom's like the only one that's getting pissed off right and i think it's because maybe she is into true crime and she's like oh no that's dangerous right and the dad's like listen babe don't get stressed even if he does write to these people they're not gonna freaking write him back what's the big deal let him write these little love letters no one's gonna respond okay so they just continue dinner that way but he was dead serious so he goes back up to his room and he's thinking okay yeah my mom is right why would they write back to me they get thousands of letters there's got to be so many people in the united states that are like oh i could totally just like pick this brain of this serial killer why me i know what i have to do i have to be the perfect victim i can't be someone that just wants to pick their brain because every journalist every interviewer every author every nbc cnn wants to pick their brain i can't be just a fanboy because they have so many fanboys i have to be someone that they are intrigued by i have to be their perfect victim and he's cocky. He's 18 years old. He's thinking to himself that if I am the perfect victim, I'm going to get them to spill all of their most valuable information that they haven't even told law enforcement and psychologists. I'm going to get it. And I'm going to walk into the FBI field office and say, guess what? You better be teaching my shit at Quantico, like something like that. OK, he was really feeling himself, really feeling like he was going to do something. Now, it's obvious that at the time he lacked serious self-awareness, like this is not going to happen, but it gets really intense. So he comes up up with these fake stories that Gacy can relate to. So he's like, okay, my backstory. And he's writing them down on a journal so he can keep all of his stories straight. Because mind you, he's trying to talk to like half a dozen serial killers. So with John Wayne Gacy, he's going to mention that he was sexually assaulted as a kid. Yeah, that's not a true story, but uh, John Wayne Gacy was assaulted as a kid. So maybe they can relate on that. He's going to say that my dad is a bully which he's not, but he's just making shit up, okay? He's going to say that I, I'm, you know, sexually confused. Maybe I'm gay. I don't know. I'm embarrassed. Am I gay? What do I do? Which isn't true because Jason was straight and he had a girlfriend, but he decided he needed to be the perfect victim. So he starts doing all this research. In the middle of the night, he would sneak out of the house and start going to these gay bars so that he could talk to gay sex workers that he could find, get a better idea of understanding, you know, very specific lingo that could be used in the community, learn what, you know, being a top is, what is being a bottom, all of these things. So he spends just like days upon days reading all of these books, all of these articles, watching interviews, anything and everything about John Wayne Gacy. And then finally, he wrote his very first letter. Dear Mr. Gacy, my name is Jason Moss. I'm a student at the University of Nevada. I'm 18 and I'm writing to you because I thought you might get bored or lonely where you are and you might want someone to correspond with. I'm sure there are many others who write to you, but, but I hope you take the time to write me back. You'll see that I'm a pretty nice guy and I know what it's like to be bored and alone. The constant screaming of my father keeps me secluded in my room when I'm not at home or the gym. I just, I hate it here. I guess I understand what it feels like to just need a friend. I don't know. Um, at this point, what else can I say unless you write back? If you need anything, just let me know. I look forward to hearing from you soon. Your friend, Jason Moss. And he kept the return address as his actual home address. I mean, otherwise he won't receive the letter, no? Um, he probably would... I His whole thing was if he sets up a P.O. box, he didn't think that John Wayne Gacy would write back to a P.O. box. 
because it feels like you have something to hide mm, so he's trying to oh, he's really trying to be authentic like tr- really trying to be the perfect victim genuinely mm. and almost immediately he gets a letter back from john wayne gacy yeah and it was a typed out letter thanking him for writing and a self-authored article describing john wayne gacy's version of events leading up to his arrest and convic- conviction so it's pretty much like a fact sheet so john wayne gacy's interesting he was arrested gave a confession and then recanted it and said that he was framed so now, I mean, until the day that he's executed, he's appealing, working with attorneys and just saying that his confession was coerced. It's been framed. He didn't draw the picture of where the bodies were. A police officer must have drawn that picture. Just like all of that. So he gives a little fact sheet about how he's innocent of 33 homicides. And then he sends a questionnaire, which is so crazy to me. This is how many people were reaching out to John Wayne Gacy. He had to he had to field them somehow to see which ones are interesting enough. Which one do I really want to spend my time writing back? to so you would send out a mandatory questionnaire and you'd have to fill it out what is it so the survey would say things like my childhood hero was blank why did i decide to write to john wayne gacy my ideal evening is blank something that nobody else knows about blank thoughts on sex thoughts on crime what are you thinking about right now So he's like spending all of this time. Jason's like, okay, this is my one chance. If I fuck up this chance, he's not going to write me back. And that's it. So he's like spending just every single question, catering it to becoming the perfect victim. It's like a college application. Yeah. So with the nobody knows I'm, he wrote, thinking about becoming a nude dancer to earn some extra money. He thought that this would be interesting because John Wayne Gacy talked about how he hated male sex workers a lot. So maybe this would bring up some emotion and um, some of his victims were male sex workers or he believed that they were or convinced himself that they were. So if this opens the door to that. So he Mm. sent that out and Gacy responded. This is, um, his responses are creepy. He just immediately starts pulling him in. And he just says, you know, one of the things that you need to know about me as a serial killer is that I'm open minded and I'm nonjudgmental and I'm liberal and bisexual and I and I say what I mean. The only thing that I ask of you, Jason, is that you don't assume anything of me. If you're not sure, just ask. Nothing offends me more than that. Nothing is personal. No subject is off limits as long as you're willing to be just as open and honest with me. And then he went on a rant about how 80% of what is known about him in the media is a fantasy. And he also said, and I quote, if you want my honest opinion, that's what you get. I'm not into stroking you as you have your own hand for that when you get the daily urge. Ha ha. So he makes a lot of masturbation references, just like aggressive masturbation references, just constantly saying things like, no, 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 like I'm not going to lie to you as in just like sugarcoat things. But he would constantly say, I'm not trying to stroke you because you can do that yourself. Mm -hmm. And he would say things like, don't worry, I'm not going to show your questionnaire to anyone else. Even if you say that you jerk off while you stand on your head, don't worry. I won't tell anyone. What is a stand on your head? Yeah, do a headstand. Which apparently, according to the letters to to Jason, John Wayne Gacy said that his favorite masturbation pose was to do a headstand. To be what? upside down. Okay. Yeah. 
so Jason is officially sucked in, you know? He's writing back like he's just this sexually confused 18-year-old, just the perfect, submissive, moldable victim. And he starts staying up to like four in the morning, reading more about Gacy, writing in his journal. Okay, like this is what I'm going to say in this letter. Rewriting, rewriting all these letters because he wants it to be perfect. He's keeping tabs on all of the lies that he's telling him because John Wayne Gacy is incredibly suspicious in general, as a person. So he needed to make sure that nothing would be a lie. Like he wouldn't get caught in a lie. And John Wayne Gacy, I mean, Gacy would remember the smallest details. He would say, hey, remember when you wrote to me three weeks ago saying that you were wearing that red shirt with that logo on it? How come you never wore it again? Because he would write in every letter what he was wearing. Like, did you just throw away that shirt or you don't like the shirt anymore? That is so scary. Yeah, just like what happened to that shirt? So this proves to Jason, like, Gacy's got his own index system. He's remembering everything. I got to be really good about this. So they start talking about school, sports. Then Jason starts straight up asking him about the murders. And he just says, Jason, so many other people had keys to my house. They were always coming and going, you know, and they were using drugs. I was I was working so many hours. It, I just I was never home. Besides, you think that I'm so stupid that I actually bury bodies underneath my own house? I did not kill or murder anyone. I own the property, so they want you to assume that I did. They say that I confessed, but there's no confession when they asked me in court. I was sold out by my attorneys for book rights. I am an embarrassment in the criminal justice system in the United States because if I am right, they are wrong. And they, there's <laughs> if I'm right, they're, they're wrong. wrong. <laughs> and there's too many careers. Money has been made off of my name for political reasons. It's better to kill me than to let the public know that they fucked up 15 years ago when they convicted me. What is yeah. um, Jason buying any of these? He said that uh, at one point he felt like it made sense, which is when he was like, oh, my God, I'm losing my mind. Mm. So he would constantly keep coming out of it. I mean, I know that Jason knew that he was guilty, right? Which is the whole purpose of reaching out to him. Mm -hmm. But there was just like moments where he was like, wait, what? Mm -hmm. wait what and he would he would go on these like rampages just he would go on these rants that would go on for pages where john wayne gacy would tell him that he's a pma person pma positive mental attitude who's pma <laughs> john wayne gacy <laughs> positivity yeah he's a positivity guru just pma prison death is negative why think about it and he would say but i'm not a cream puff I believe a true friend will not tell you what you want to hear to stroke you, but will let you know what's right from their point of view. Just like constantly all of this stroking talk. Now, this is like weeks of communicating and Jason's life is starting to get turned upside down. He starts getting B's in classes. Him and his girlfriend start fighting. His friendships are dying out. He gave up most of his hobbies. He stopped going to karate lessons. Like he pretty much gave up all of it because there's nothing as exciting as communicating with a serial killer. Like in the sense of like, you're writing this letter, you're playing this dangerous game, you're making up these lies and you know that this person is one of the scariest people in the United States. How can hockey practice even live up to that i feel like it can't right and he's hooked on this his mind is just completely occupied on what to tell gacy next or how to lead him into the conversation of his crimes he's getting off on this high and that's when he gets a letter from john wayne gacy that says you mentioned you have a little brother 14 years old is he into sports like you do you get along with him 
so Jason just stops in his tracks because this is this is weird. This is uncomfortable. All along, it's just been like this pleasant tie of like, yeah, creepy. Stop stroking me. You get it. But it hasn't been this personal, this mm-hmm. like intrusive in his own life. So he's like, OK, OK, divert, divert the conversation, but still keep it sexual because this is a sexual predator at the end of the day. So he asks John Wayne Gacy, what do you fantasize about sexually? So then he writes back and he says, I like to be the aggressor. I like to get it on with threesomes. This is the serial killer, both female and male, making them my slaves in bed, doing it all. So with Gacy, he just constantly said that he was bisexual in the sense that that's the most natural to be. When you can't have sex with a woman, the next best thing is to have sex with another man. That's his that's his ideology. But for him, I think genuinely he was gay. And because his whole abusive childhood with his dad, he never felt comfortable accepting that as my opinion because once he started killing he never had sex with women again Mm -hmm. he just exclusively had sex well raped men and gacy starts calling jason a toy boy which he looked up and it's a term for a good-looking boy that is sometimes a male sex worker that uh quote who gets what he wants using his body so he starts kind of objectifying him like dear toy boy instead of dear jason and he starts asking jason for pictures And he keeps bringing up his brother. And he says things like, you mentioned your brother, but you don't tell me his name. You don't send me a photo of your brother. I would think that if you and I, Jason, are getting close, you would share these things with me. Anyway, say hi to your brother for me. Oh, my God. So, Jason, I mean, he's 18. He's kind of giggling at first, and he walks downstairs, and he's laughing, and he's like, you know, hey, Jared, 14-year-old brother, you know, Casey's been asking for you. I think I think maybe he wants to get to know you. Wait, so the family knows that. Yeah, at this everything. point he's doing it. Yeah, and they're like, "Fine, go ahead." Yeah, he's like, "I mean, well, he is in Illinois. We're in Vegas, and he's in maximum security death row. What's he gonna do?" So they just kind of let it happen. And Jared is just shook up about this. I mean, the poor 14-year-old, he's like, Jason, please, please don't get me involved. Like, I, I just, this guy's a freak. Like, I don't, I don't want to talk to him. I don't want anything to do with him. And he's like, okay, okay, it's fine. Don't freak out. You don't have to talk to him. But, but I have an idea. It's a little bit crazy. But what if I wrote the letter and you just copy it in your handwriting? Because obviously if I write it, he's going to know it's me. It's the same handwriting. And you just sign it at the end. And you don't have to read his letters. You don't have to think about what to say. It'll all be me. And he's like, no, wait, no, I don't even want him to know my name. And he's like, please, Jared, it would give me two different sources of information. It would open up two lines of conversation. I can even cross check to make sure that he's telling us the same stuff, please. <sighs> OK, fine. So he starts handwriting these letters. And at first, of course, they're innocent. It's just like, hey, I'm Jared. I'm 14. I play baseball and I'm in middle school, stuff like that. And then eventually he's writing things like, oh, I'm going to learn how to type. So that eventually Jason can just typewrite everything. And then Mm. he would send the letter. He would show it to Jared, but he wouldn't let him read any of it. And Jared would just sign it at the bottom. So Mm -hmm. it's the same signature. And now it is just Jason talking to Gacy, but two times more. And this is adding to the isolation. I mean, he's feeling so isolated from his family. This whole interaction with Jared, it kind of pushed Jared away from him. It's just Jared's like, this is so creepy. Like, I feel almost like you're using me to get to a serial killer. It's just weird. He's losing his friends. He's not doing well in school. And he felt like Gacy was the only thing in his life now. And he kept asking himself, like, am I becoming friends with Gacy? Like, what is going on? So Jason thought, well, the more naive that I act, the more the more 
confident Gacy acts. So I'm going to start acting like I'm going through a tumultuous time. So he talks about how his dad's about to kick him out. He's emotionally and physically abusing him. He's worried that he's going to be out of money and just homeless. What do I do? What do I do? And Gacy tells him, well, you can just sell your body on the streets, pretty much. That's how he phrases it. And he coaches him. You should wear this, Jason. You should say this to potential clients. You should. I'm going to give you a tutorial on what I would want in a sex worker. And he talked about how you should do golden showers and charge them $100. And he would say it really graphically, like, let them urinate in your throat. He would oh, talk about no. how if someone is into BDSM and they keep punching you, you should probably just get punched, you know? I think that's the best way to handle it. Like, it is so much grooming, just grooming him to become even more isolated and submissive and feeling, you know, worthless. And then slowly, they moved the conversation to phone calls. I mean, these gotta take a huge impact on your mental health, no? Huge. I can't even imagine. Can you imagine that? Like, no. Unbelievable. This is, oh my goodness. Like, because uh, I'm trying to think of, like, the moment you say that, hey, how's your brother? I bet oh, that's like a moment of, like, you can fake it, right? No matter how much you fake it, mm-hmm. now you have to say certain things about your brother in a different tone you know ah oh, well, that just gets so bad it gets worse because they he fakes an incestuous relationship with his own brother oh see that's what i'm saying like it's like no turning back yeah the phone call it moved the conversation moves to phone calls which i assume is so much worse so he gives gacy the phone number at nine o'clock sunday morning he's asleep in his bed the phone rings he has no idea who it is he picks it up literally just woke up and it's an automated voice recording saying like oh this is the prison do you accept the charges and he says that he accepts and then the first words what's up buddy and it's john wayne gacy And he says, I know this is probably awkward for you. Just relax. I'm watching TV right now, hanging out in my cell. What about you? So so he's like, what? Okay. And now the previous letter to this phone conversation, you know, Gacy had accused Jason of wanting something from him, like wanting an interview or wanting something from him. He's like, oh, people only reach out to me because they want something from me. And they got into a little bit of an altercation on the phone. And Jason's like, I don't want anything from you. I just thought we were friends. On the phone? Yeah. So this was in a letter before. Oh, yeah. Oh, 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 like the previous letter that they had just sent before this phone conversation, John Wayne Gacy was accusing him of like wanting something, which is something that he did periodically, would just be like, what do you want from me? Just mm-hmm. kind of like throw people off. And Jason was like, I told you, I don't want anything from you. I just want to be friends. Like, uh, I can't believe that you think that low of me. And John Wayne Gacy said, you can be a feisty little shit, can't you? Did you not get enough sex last night? Ha 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 ha. This is on the phone. Yeah. And so he's like frozen. First of all, he did not expect to be on a conversation with John Wayne Gacy this morning. It's Sunday morning. Excuse me, what? I'm going to brunch. What's happening? And so he offers, Gacy offers him one of his paintings as a peace offering. Because remember, he was a painter in prison. Some of them sold for $10,000 in a gallery. There was so much controversy over that, you know, reasonably. And it's called Pennywise the Clown. Do you know the Stephen King book? It's one of my most requested pieces, Jason. One of it, just like it, sold in New York for like $10,000. So he's like, oh, um, thank you so much. Yeah, but, but I have to go. It's Sunday and my parents are calling me. So he's like, okay, sounds good. And they hang up and immediately the phone rings again. So it's the same automated voice. He accepts the charges and it's John again. 
and Gacy says, How are you? I'm just calling back because I didn't think you'd believe that it was me who called. I just want to let you know that it really is me, John Wayne Gacy. Anyway, well, I guess I'll let you go now. Remember to keep the letters coming. And he hangs up. I think, okay, so I know some people might not think that this is like crazy, but to me, it's stressing me out because I have a hard time even responding to just a normal person's text message. But imagine a serial killer just is mentally forking with you on an innocent Sunday afternoon. So Gacy starts sending checks to the house. Close to $900 total for the collection calls because, you know, you have to pay to talk to prisoners. So he's covering the cost of $900? Yeah, paying for the cost of... They would talk every Sunday for at least an hour. Every single Sunday for months. So instead of uh, mental health uh, therapists? Yeah, you're like, (laughs) just my weekly serial killer convos. Oh my goodness. Yeah, and he becomes, I mean, even more isolated because of these phone conversations. His brother found out that they were talking on the phone and Jared's like, I don't I don't ever want to like answer phones in this house anymore. I don't even want to hear his voice. I don't even want to hear John Wayne Gacy say hi. And later we find out that Jared had been having terrible nightmares for weeks. Because, you know, I mean, imagine your brother is talking to a serial killer. They know the address. They're calling the house. How, how is that okay for a 14-year-old? So Gacy would start sending these packages, these care packages, paintings, porn books, photos of naked men. So as they're talking on the phone, he finds out that Gacy has somehow convinced himself that it's not his crimes that made him famous, but it's his stellar personality and his intellect that won him all of this international attention. It's not the 33 boys that he killed. It's because, you know, he's just such a good political figure. Oh, shit. Best KFC manager that ever existed. And in jail, he's living like a celebrity. He had his own private cell because he's on death row. He had a TV. He had money from the sale of his paintings. And a lot of the guards were just like eating out of his hands, whether they were afraid of him, whether, you know, he was paying them, probably bribing them. There was just some weird shit going on. Most of the inmates were terrified of him. It seemed like he just got everything that he wanted in prison. What? Yeah, that is the speculation from a lot of different people, not just Jason Moss. Now, of course, we'll never really know the truth because what goes on in prison is uh, crazy and we never find out the truth because they cover it up, right? But I I wouldn't doubt it. I feel like when you do have money and you're in prison, you can get a lot more access to things. And that is when the phone conversations turn yet again. And he keeps telling Jason, Jason, you don't know how lucky you are to be in the situation that you are in right now. What do you mean by that? Well, you have your little brother and you guys can use each other to get off just all day long at night, in the morning, all day, every day. And he's like, oh, well, (laughs) that doesn't really sound. No, that doesn't really sound right. And like, what if my parents found out? Relax. No one's going to find out. You just go into his room in the middle of the night and you pretty much sexually assault him i mean the way that he describes it is really graphic it's really disgusting but he's describing jason sneaking into the hallway into his 14 year old brother's room in the middle of the night and sexually assaulting him and he keeps saying call him into the room right now pretend i'm not on the phone i want to hear it so he's like um he's 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 at baseball practice right now he's not here he's not home right now sorry And Gacy would say, well, make sure to try it this afternoon or tonight when he gets home. 
How is he feeling about all of this? Really disgusted. But he doesn't know. I mean, he feels like he's come this far. He wants to keep going further because he hasn't gotten anything that he wanted. So I think that the problem during all of this, which like I'm sure everyone is seeing this and thinking the same thing, is that you literally are becoming the perfect victim. But the whole time he thinks that he is the master manipulator. But in reality, Jason's getting manipulated. This mm. whole time he got nothing out of Gacy. Yeah. Gacy's getting entertainment. Gacy's That's getting true. this sick fantasy, this strange information. Meanwhile, Jason has not gotten one iota of information that you couldn't have gotten on Google. Yeah. So Jason wants to wants, um, wants Gacy to yeah. confess to something. Exactly. To befriend him and then to get all of his dark secrets things that the police couldn't get things that the fbi couldn't get and so his first step is to build a friendship with him but uh -huh. in reality no you can't build a friendship with people like this they're not going to tell you this shit if they haven't told the fbi they're yeah. just not and so he would gacy would start sending these hypothetical letters that he would write off as fiction later and he would say things like okay well this is probably the different reactions that your brother's going to have a his reaction is going to be this that's when you say this like pretty much saying this is how you break down all of the defenses of your little brother he's so good at grooming him. yeah like just saying all of this and he was just normalizing this and gacy even claimed to have a sexual relationship with his sister when they were younger now it seems like he might just be saying this just to normalize incest for jason i don't really know now you would think that uh jason would stop sending letters at this point you're like oh wow this is like <laughs> this is too much. He's like pressuring me into an incestuous relationship, which obviously isn't going to happen, but disgusting. But no, he keeps writing. And if anything, he starts getting bored with Gacy. He's, he feels like Gacy is too predictable. And he wants to write to some serial killers that aren't as predictable, namely Charles Manson and Richard Ramirez, some very erratic people. So Charles Manson is a very interesting choice to write to. This is probably the last person I would have written to if he was still alive, because this guy is known for having power over people on the outside. Like this guy's known for having like a cult like following, <laughs> regardless of the fact that he himself is in prison walls, you know, and most of the murders he didn't even do. He facilitated it. So this is like the last person you should be writing to um one of his followers tried to assassinate the president after charles manson was in prison yet thankfully it was a horrible job she pointed a loaded gun at the president but it didn't fire so we later find out that there wasn't a bullet in the chamber so i don't know if that's just bad planning or what at first she said that she wanted to kill president nixon because he was the president during the manson trials but um he resigned because of you know watergate so then she tried to assassinate president gerald ford gerald ford but you're like, yeah, let me just let me just write to this guy who has got followers who are willing to kill the president. Probably could kill me in Vegas, which is just a th stone throws away from California. But let's do it. Here's something that I absolutely love switching up. My scent, the way that I smell, because it's so dependent on my mood. Some days I'm feeling fruity. Some days it's fresh. Some days I want to smell like a fireplace, like a library. Do you know what I'm talking about? I have really great taste in perfume, but it's also super expensive. And I end up with like shelf full of half-used bottles. Now, three years ago, I discovered Scentbird because I was traveling to Las Vegas and I wanted a tiny little thing of a perfume, like a small version of an 
expensive perfume to take with me on the plane. If you guys have never heard of them before, they're a fragrance subscription service that gives you the opportunity to shop from over 600 different brands. It's got a flexible subscription so that you can skip any month without any penalties. And they let you choose a new designer fragrance to try every single month for just $16. Every month, you get to choose the perfume you want to try and they will send you a 30-day supply. There are no surprises. They have perfumes, colognes, and a lot of unisex options. They carry some of the top designer brands like Prada, Gucci, Versace, but they also have like really cool indie labels like Vince Camuto, The Harmonist, and Confessions of a Rebel. All of them are 100% authentic because they work directly with the brands. And did you know some of the bottles of perfume can cost anywhere between $150 to $500 or even more? For example, Scentbird carries a mage that costs $345 and you just pay $16 to get a 30-day supply of it. This month, I got Clementine California by Atelier Cologne, and it's amazing for spring. I just smell like a Clementine orchid. And with my code, it will only be $11 for your first month. With this exclusive offer, just for you guys, you can get 30% off of your first month today. That's only $11 for your first fragrance. Go to scentbird.com and use my code ROTTEN for 30% off your first month. Again, that's SC. Entbird.com for you to try your first perfume or cologne for just eleven dollars. Now, Charles Manson was the opposite of Gacy in these letters. He was a straight up hustler. He straight up just wrote in broken English and he said, I will only write to you if you pay for subscriptions to magazines for me (laughs) because prisoners cannot get their subscriptions themselves. They can only be gifted by friends and family for whatever reason, even if you have like magazine subscriptions. So you're thinking Vogue. I'm thinking Harper's Bazaar, but they're thinking porn. Uh, porn magazines right so even if the inmates have money it needs to be a gift strange i don't know if that law has changed but that is the way it worked then so he says because people play you and use you for things beyond your wildest dreams this is what charles manson says so he demanded something before they're even allowed to have a conversation and once they do the writing is so odd he his writing he said that it looked like the product of an eight-year-old like a demented eight-year-old like a possessed eight-year-old the letters were super short compared to gacy's which was like 10 pages per letter right they said absolutely nothing they were all over the place one letter would him be rambling about nonsense and then the next one is him accusing jason of betraying him like what, what <laughs> like, you're, i'm not even part of your cult bro like how am i betraying you and then the next one would be super angry that the magazines haven't arrived on time and he would just be like berating jason and he would say things like first i got no books and it's clear by your words that you're you were raised and taught how to bullshit your own thoughts and pay rent to live in your old life. You're a gamer and start out hiding behind your own words about what you think is all yourself. Sometimes we really got to question how he had a following. And that's what he said. Maybe it's not him. No, it is him. It is him? Yeah. What? I mean, I know that he's very persuasive and there was a lot that lined up in his favor. He was the wrong person at the right time during a movement in California where people were looking for a leader, right? We know that, but like just looking at these letters, it's a whole different story. And he would say, I know a whole system of people like you who hide in books and schools and live on paper, computing banks and past. 
how long you been working in the mailroom unless you make the rules in the mailroom. I feel like he <laughs> thought that he did something in that one. <laughs> But um, yeah, so he had this personal station. I guess like when you're yeah. like all the way sitting up there as a co-leader. You could just say anything. These can be really like deep words. Okay, ready? How long you been working in the mailroom unless you make the rules in the mailroom. See? Thank you. I am the next finance guru. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. So he had this personal stationery with the watermark of Charles Manson's eyes, which is what people are so terrified of, in the back of a lot of his letters. He would send poems. This is one of the poems, and I quote, Bebop. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Bebop. <laughs> Bada bing, boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Bebop, boot and shoe, ding dong, the bell has rung. But Jason said it was worse than reading Gacy's letters. He felt like every time he read Charles Manson's letters, he felt like he needed to take a shower. It just felt like his weirdness was rubbing off on him. Mm. Not necessarily as scary, but just like freaking weird. And I need to shower because there's some like, it feels like when someone is losing it next to you, you start feeling like, wait a minute, am I starting to question reality right now? What's going on? <laughs> That's what he felt like. And then Manson started sending all of his responses on the back of other letters, just pretty much mocking all of these people that write to him and showing Jason, you're not special. Look at how many people who write to me. So the letters end up going nowhere because they're too sporadic. They're too all over the place. I mean, bebop, you know, it's just too much. Like he's not getting anything out of this that the FBI is going to be interested in. Like bebop, boot and shoe, they don't care. So he, he starts debating, should I go to California and visit Charles Manson in person and interview him in jail as a visitor? But the idea, he said, that visiting Gacy, you know, seemed calm, seemed structured. But the idea of visiting Charles Manson felt like it'd be too wild, just too spontaneous. So he's even planning on visiting Gacy. And that is when all hell breaks loose. So Jason sees this little small autograph store in Las Vegas and he decides to walk up in there because he's like, you know what? Let's just see. So he sees guitars signed by famous people like baseball bats signed by, you know, baseball players like signed by me. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course, baseball players. And he's like, well, What if I had a letter from Charles Manson signed by Charles Manson from the facility that Charles, like I can prove it, it's Charles Manson. Mm -hmm. And they said, Charles Manson? Yeah, his letters are pretty rare. So probably like $2,000. So he's like, $2,000. What about John Wayne Gacy? Um, well, he's, he's famous. Yeah, for sure. But he writes for a lot of people. He writes a lot. So he's probably about average, maybe a couple hundred dollars. I did not know there's a market for that. Yeah. I think it's crazy. I would okay. never. Like, I, I love true crime, but I'm not going to be buying letters from yeah, but, signed. But I wouldn't recommend anybody doing that. Yeah, so. don't do this. Don't be selling this, okay? And what if, what, what if I had several dozen letters, all of them that are very explicit in John Wayne Gacy's sexual taste? What? Are you, are you lying to me? Don't lie to me. And he's like, oh, never mind, never mind. I don't even want to sell it anyway. I don't know why I brought it up, but... What, what about other people? Like, what are, what are some of the most expensive serial killer signatures? Um, well, probably Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, that cannibal guy? Yeah, well, he doesn't really write to people. His stuff is extremely rare. rare. I never see it on the market. There's a market for these? Yeah, I think, uh, I think I've only seen maybe like one or two people who's ever received a letter back from Jeffrey Dahmer. So he, his would probably go for a couple thousand dollars. 
But um, yeah, other than that, John Wayne Gacy is probably a couple hundred. So that's when he goes home. And guess what? He immediately starts studying Jeffrey Dahmer. And he said that he felt so grossed out compared to John Wayne Gacy and Charles Manson. Jeffrey Dahmer is just really nasty, you know? And so he wrote his first letter that says, Dear Jeff, which, by the way, we have a podcast on him. Just a quick note, his summary, he killed at least 17 boys, seemed that he wanted a forever friend. He wanted to make a human zombie by injecting acid into brains while these kids were still alive. He engaged in necrophilia, cannibalism during the murder. So he wanted to preserve the body, especially the skull. So he would do these things where he would soak it in acetone, put it in the freezer, bake it in the oven. I mean, at one point he had a skull in the oven that exploded. He's like living in an apartment building at this time. And like none of the neighbors had much of an idea. He would talk to the severed heads of his victims while he continues dismembering the rest of the victim's body. He would even try to preserve the skin of some of these victims. He would eat the hearts, the livers, the biceps and some parts of the thighs. He would also leave the bodies laying in his bed to decompose for like days. And he would go up and just have sex with the corpse while it's infested with maggots. Would you write to this dude? No, you freaking wouldn't. Okay. Okay, because we we are sane here on this podcast. We're sane. Please tell me you guys wouldn't. His letter is, yet again, catered just towards Jeffrey Dahmer. Dear Jeffrey, my name is Jason Moss. I'm writing you this letter because it's super late where I am. I'm taking care of my sick grandma, and she's just been throwing up all night, and I'm afraid she's going to die. If she dies, it'll just be me. I'll be all alone. Both my parents were killed in a car crash last year. I just feel really lonely and scared. Sometimes I just want to die. I, I heard about the things that you did, and I understand. I think I get you. How you just don't want to feel being alone. I just think I need a strong man in my life, but I don't know. I hope you have a good new year, and I hope you write back to me. And he sends off his letter. Again, catering to Jeffrey Dahmer. Very different from his letter to John Wayne Gacy. Now, he does claim that there was a lot of truth to this letter. He was feeling super isolated. He had broken up with his girlfriend. His family was upset with him, and they were just getting so frustrated. Like, can you just let this go? And he kept saying, no, this is for my senior year thesis. It's going to be four years in the making. I'm going to have this bombastic thesis. I'm going to graduate, and I'm going to be an FBI agent. Like, just, mom, dad, you don't want me to be successful. Like, there were just all of these fights. And, I mean, he was completely alone in this world, just... He was turning into a completely different person. He wasn't showering. He wasn't taking care of himself. He's just writing letters, studying, and just rewriting. It was bad. So weeks pass without getting a response from Jeffrey Dahmer. And he starts getting frustrated because he's like, wow. So John Wayne Gacy writes to pretty much everybody. Charles Manson, he just wanted magazines from me. This proves that maybe I'm not special. Maybe they're not writing back to me because I'm different. Maybe they just wanted something from me. So he, as an ego boost, he decides to write to Richard Ramirez. Because if Richard Ramirez writes back, this is confirmation that he can do something, you know? Third time's the charm. So Richard Ramirez, I mean, he terrorized 
Los Angeles. This is the Night Stalker we're talking about, the Bay Area. His victims that he would rape and murder ranged from nine years old to 83 years old. Like this guy, I mean, everyone was terrified of him. You you can't even say, well, I'm not a victim because I'm a dude. Like he would just shoot up dudes in their house. He would invade their house, shoot up the dude, rape the wife, and then murder her. You could be an 80-year-old grandma and you're still in danger. He would leave satanic symbols all over the crime scene. There was one time with an 81-year-old woman that he raped and murdered. He left a satanic pentagram symbol on her thigh, her walls of her bedroom with lipstick. He would force people to confess their love to Satan while he's brutally assaulting them. And during the trial, he would have pentagrams drawn on his palm, flash a smile to the cameras in the courthouse. I mean, it was just really bad. Now, side note, this motherfucker that I just explained was engaged twice in prison. Engaged twice in prison. What? So Jason claimed that Ramirez was different from him. He was intrigued by the fact that Richard didn't lure people to his domain like all of these other people. You know, John Wayne Gacy brought people to his house and all of that. Charles Manson set other people to do his bidding. But Richard Ramirez, he would destroy people in their own domain. That's what he said. And I quote, he didn't care who the victim was. He didn't care where the location was. He would break into people's homes and assault them and murder them inside of their houses. That's terrifying. So with this one, he's not the perfect victim because he's not a woman, you know? And he's not someone who has, you know, a woman next to him that Richard Ramirez just needs to kill him to get him out of the way, right? So he decides to go to a different approach, Satanism. Now, side note, disclaimer, this isn't really Satanism. This is like that one person who thinks that they know Satanism and then decides to kill people in the name of Satanism. And it's not at all what it represents. So he starts researching, just spent months. Now, mind you, keep in the back of your mind the day that Jason took his life. So he spends months diving in to Satanism, just nonstop reading, staying up at night, reading about it so that he could write a letter to Ramirez talking about how he's a high priestess and has started his own satanic cult in Las Vegas. So he really needs to know his shit. Not saying that Richard Ramirez knows his shit, but you know, he wants to do diligence. So he writes to him and says, how are you? I worship the Dark Lord too. I shed and drink the blood of a sheep every night in the Dark One's name. I'm the grand priest of a cult here in Vegas. All of my 57 members worship you almost as much as we do the Dark Lord. Give us your words. Give us your teachings to help us follow the path that you've set for us. I have many women here for you. I'll send some photos if you'd like. They love you, Richard. My girlfriend wants you to beat the fuck out of her. I know. I'm just imagining. I know that him and his girlfriend broke up, but if you ever did this shit and wrote to someone like this and said, My fiance wants you to beat the fuck out of her for a school project, work project, I don't care, we're done. She wants you to show her what it's like to worship the Dark Lord. And he drew a pentagram and wrote, Hail Satan, Hail Richard, your loyal follower, Jason Moss. Which, like, side note, Hail Satan, Hail Richard. Like, Richard is, like, the most professional name ever. Just doesn't work with me. So Richard Ramirez wrote back, super blunt. How are you? How old are you? I request photos of women in your cult. Plus, send over some hardcore Asian bondage magazines. Oh, no freaking way. Yeah. Just like super blunt, did not care to give him his teachings. 
So Jason goes over to his friend in college who happens to be a photographer. Now photographers have um, sometimes oh, like you do like boudoir no. shoots, boudoir, boudoir. I don't know how to pronounce it, but you get it. Like maybe like semi nude shoots with women. And he said, hey, I want some pictures of the models that you took. I hate this. I hate this so much because imagine just being a model trying to make it. You take some pictures with a photographer. That photographer gives it to some rando and he sends it to a serial rapist and serial killer. Yeah. So he's like, I need some pictures. And the photographer's like, what? Like, so you can jack off to them? (laughs) No way. But uh, long story short, apparently the photographer owed him. There was something going on there. He owed him. That's all I know. So he gets all of these pictures and he sends them to Richard Ramirez. And Ramirez sends a letter right back. And as a thank you, he followed the outline of his hand on a piece of paper for Jason and his followers to worship his hand. Now, his hand was humongous. He said, truly the hand of a monster. He put his hand on that outline and every single finger of Richard Ramirez was at least an inch longer than Jason's. Jason is like an athletic built 18 year old full grown dude. I mean, you could easily fake that too, right? Yeah. But I heard he is known for having some weird ass, long ass, creepy hands. Okay. So um, he just, he was freaked out by this at the bottom. Richard Ramirez had drawn a bunch of skeletons that says hands of doom and gloom. Evil hands are happy hands. Death is more than a word or action that takes place. There's no word for it. It's a feeling, one of immense, intense, and delicious nature. Everyone cries, but death is good. This is where the nightmares start, you know, just piling up for Jason. He just starts having crazy nightmare after nightmare. His main nightmare at this point was nightmares about Ramirez. They're walking through this neighborhood at night and they're just talking. He said the feeling is almost like you're talking to an old friend. You feel like logically you should be scared, but he felt safe for some reason. So he's talking to Richard Ramirez and then they see a tiny little girl pass on a bike. And then all of a sudden, like everything starts turning like dark like really red like blood red like the sky looks really red and Ramirez smiles at him and says let's go so he's like what and he's motionless Jason can't move in his dream and then the night stalker pulls the girl off of her bike slams her onto this man and holds her down by her throat and says Jason Jason get the hell over here help me kill this bitch and he's like this little girl sometimes his nightmares would be John Wayne Gacy calling his name in like this long hallway, Jason, Jason, bro, I watch one scary movie and I have nightmares and it really started affecting his life. So he decided I, ah, these nightmares are going to kill me. Like I need to, I need to get out. I need to touch some grass. Okay. So he goes out with his brother to the movie theater and he realizes he's getting so paranoid. There was this guy sitting um, a couple rows back and this is before the movie had started. So the lights are on and he had this bag almost like protectively placed between his legs and he's alone. Mm-hmm. So he's like looking at him and he whispers to his brother. He's like, look at that guy over there. And he's like, okay, what about him? He's checking people out. Um, so what? Look, 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 look at the bag on the floor. I swear there's something wrong with him. I, I bet that he's got a gun in that bag. I bet you. What? I bet he has more than one. What if he opens fire? You know, you know, people are like this. I'm telling you, this guy's strange. He, he probably has an anger to society. He's going to snap. He's going to try to take us all out. We got to We got to go, Jared. Let's just go. 
He's like, what? No, the movie hasn't started yet. I'm going to watch this. I got my popcorn. Jared, let's go. And he's like, no, I'm not going. And so he stands up in front of the movie theater, like while people are watching the previews, and he keeps grabbing Jared physically. Like I said, let's go. And so everyone's quiet, just staring at them. And so Jared gets embarrassed and he says, fine. And he gets up and he just goes home and refuses to talk to his brother because he's like, what is wrong with you? Get it together. He's not going to kill us. So he just felt like he saw evil in everyone. Mm. He just saw something so gross and dark in everyone. Someone could just look a little bit different or look a little bit salty that day. And he would be so paranoid that this person is a serial killer. So he continues writing to Richard Ramirez, sending him letters. And Richard Ramirez had a fascination with one of these models. And he would say things like, hey, say hi to Jody for me. And Jason would write back saying, well, Jody's absolutely in love with you, wants to meet you in prison one day, which like, Jason, that's really messed up for doing that. What are you doing? The letters also included included more satanic symbols, um, images that Richard Ramirez would draw of dismembered women. Like he would dismember stick figures of women. There was a self-portrait where he was, Richard Ramirez was the manifestation of the devil. And he had his hand, his giant hand that he had drawn and 666 etched into it. And then he drew a mantle, like almost like a fireplace mantle, right? And there was a female torso just sitting on top of it with blood dripping from it with no other limbs attached. And he called this, this artwork, the trophy collection and he wrote a poem that says breaking up is hard to do you would think oh this is like a middle schooler's poem about young love no body of a woman all severed and mutilated head torso butt legs and arms all severed all mutilated you would like draw them he would say make sure to send more pictures of girls with their butts in the air and the back of their feet showing so then eventually he started getting really stressed out by Richard Ramirez's letters because mind you, he's still talking to John Wayne Gacy every single Sunday, still sending letters to them, still trying to talk to Charles Manson, you know, keep that going a little bit, but not as not as frequently. And he tells Richard, hey, I'm not going to be in contact for a while because I'm going to jail for beating up my girlfriend. You know how it be. And Richard Ramirez wrote back, what did you do to her? Did you break her jaw? Did you stick needles in her feet and hands? Did you record her howling? Let me know. And later, Richard would tell him about killing. Be calm. Savor the moment. You smell the aroma of the moment, the electricity, the blood, the beast. But be careful to tidy up. Meaning clean up after raping and killing victims. So then he's like, okay, this is a lot. And almost immediately, he gets a letter from Jeffrey Dahmer. So he gets so excited, which, by the way, he said that this letter meant the world to him, which is kind of a clear indication of how far that he's gone in this process. Like this was confirmation that, oh, my God, I'm different. I'm special. You know, these people see something in me and I I can be an FBI negotiator because they're connected to me. I don't even know if his whole mind is on the FBI anymore. No, I don't think so. I think it's kind of like a front. Yeah. 
he's like looking for validation from serial killer. That's yeah. so alarming. Very alarming. So Dharma writes back to him weeks later saying, just apologizing profusely, saying that I, I'm a much better talker than I am a writer, so I don't really keep up with my mail as I should. And you mentioned that uh, maybe you wanted to send me some magazines. I would love some. And he named titles of explicit gay magazines and asked for a photo of Jason and hoped to hear from him soon. So he gets so excited. Jason sends him a photo and... Um, at this point, he gets a little bit concerned. He's like, I wonder if he's looking at which part of me he wants to eat, right? But like, really, now's the time to get concerned. And Dahmer would always write back super polite. So his, his letters, Dahmer would write in just very polite language, but he would always include a picture of a naked man with a full erection in every single envelope of every single letter, even if the letter was not explicitly sexual. Just as like a, here you go, here's a freebie. <laughs> And so once Dahmer gets Jason's picture, he says, it looks like you have a great swimmer's build, although it's hard to tell because you're bent over in the picture. You certainly have a handsome face. I'm glad you didn't send a Polaroid. They won't let us keep them here because they're afraid someone's going to lick the chemicals off the bottom strip or something. Anyway, next I'd like to see some full body shots. This is how he's writing it, like verbatim. Lying on the bed, hands behind your head, your chest fully inflated. I'd enjoy pictures of you reaching high for the ceiling. To me, there's nothing more erotic than a handsome young man with a rock-hard body and a slim, tapering waist. Sorry if that sounds demanding, but you've caught my interest, which isn't an easy thing to do. I'll be happy to accommodate you in the future if you accommodate me. So this is making him super nervous. I feel like he was just putting Jeffrey Dahmer on this pedestal of like, oh, he never writes to anyone. So everything was moving so much faster than with John, you know, John Wayne Gacy or anybody else. This was just so quick. Now he's asking for these pictures. Everything's just moving so fast. He's like getting stressed out. So he told him that it's finals week coming up, but I will send you a ton of pictures after finals week. Just give me a couple of weeks. Now, Jeffrey Dahmer says, yeah, just don't forget about me. And let me know when you're ready to pursue a serious relationship. As long as you have the time without distraction, I'd be open to it. So he said for the next couple of months, it's just like all these letters just pressed down on him like a coffin. Like Manson, he's got these insane views on the world. Like bebop, shoe drop, mic drop, like just too much. Dahmer is trying to seduce him and like be in a relationship with him. Ramirez, he just has these satanic visions of murder and wants everyone to murder for him. And then Gacy wants him to have sex with his own brother. Like there's just so much going on and he's got to keep his story straight with every single one. Every single one requires so much different background information that he has to gather before writing this letter. I mean, he is losing his marbles. Then he gets a letter from John Wayne Gacy which was essentially a quote-unquote hypothetical blueprint on how Jason should assault his brother. And he had given JC, like, so JC wanted to know the layout of his house when they were on the phone. Alarming. John Wayne Gacy? Yeah. So they're on the phone and he's like, well, my brother my brother has the, the room above the garage and I'm like here. Like he was explaining the room, right? Weeks later, this letter has the exact blueprint of their house. And he says, so at night, you'll go through your door, walk through this hallway. Maybe he can meet you in the middle. And then you go to his room and he even like knew where the bed was and shit and was like, this is how you're going to do this. It's going to be like this. It's going to take 30 minutes to do this. And then at the end, he said, eventually that once a night thing will become three to four times a day. What's his reaction when he got that? He said he was disgusted, but he felt like without leading him on more he was going to resort to finding someone else. 
So Jason wrote him a letter, a complete fictional letter, but it was a letter about him and his brother engaging in incestuous activities. So the next day, you know, Gacy calls and he's intrigued. He's got a million different questions. So because of these questions, you know, Jason said he had to kind of envision some of the stuff. Like, it's really hard to answer these questions in a way that seems truthful, especially to someone like John Wayne Gacy, without somewhat envisioning it, which he really didn't want to do and felt like had a massive mental toll on him later. But that's what he did. And John Wayne Gacy ate it up. He just like ate it up. Now, some people speculate, well, how? I mean, this guy, this guy, how would he... Does he even believe you? This doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And then some people argue, including Jason, that it's not necessarily that Jason was a great liar or that he's a great storyteller, but this guy's in prison. He's on death row. He has nothing but his fantasy. So maybe, you know, he is a little bit more open to believing bullshit because that's all he has. I mean, this was his dream. He comes up with a script. He tells the brothers how to act it out. They come back with details and they just help him live out his own sick, twisted fantasies because he's on death row. He would describe the positions that they need to try. Some of the positions and the things that he wanted them to do resembled some of his murders, such as sitting on the chest of one another. And yeah, just it was really sick and twisted. And Gacy would always say that he's just so happy that he's like their older brother guiding them both and they all share this common bond they're like family and if if they ever stopped giving details about these fake sexual escapades which by the way the little brother has no idea is going on Mm -hmm. so he's writing two different versions so from the perspective of his brother from the perspective of him and sending them out to gacy and so if he ever stopped giving these details gacy would send them sweet letters and more paintings they had three paintings so far So then Jason's like, okay, I can't do this anymore. I need him to focus on something else. So he starts saying that, okay, I've gotten work as a sex worker to make money. And that's when Gacy's just going all out telling, yeah, let people urinate on your face. You know, during BDSM, you got to do this, do that. And that's when Gacy starts pushing for him to start visiting him in prison in Illinois. And he's like, I can't. You know, my parents would kill me. Like, what am I going to do? All my friends are going to Mexico for spring break. And I go up to my mom and I say, hey, mom, guess where I'm going? death row like no i can't do that well just don't tell them just drive your car to illinois and you can meet me stay at a motel i can't i don't i don't even have the money to fill up my car to go to the local store okay let me see what i can do what look i told you i'll talk to my attorney i'll have him send you a check to cover the tickets and the hotel and even some spending money while you're here how does that sound what So now he has no excuses. And he's like, oh, okay. I guess that sounds good. And they hang up. Now, after they hang up, he starts kind of getting excited. Like, this is what I've been waiting for. You know, all these letters, we've been talking about some bullshit. But when I see him in person, I can I can be an FBI agent. I can negotiate the shit out of shit. I can I can find out all of the details. (sighs) Now, Jason's 18. Convincing his parents is going to be really freaking hard, especially his mom. So the approach that he's taking is that whatever what works with most moms, right? Especially my mom. Hey, mom, how many people can say that their kid interviewed a serial killer? Listen, that's crazy. You can brag to all of your friends that I'm pretty much an FBI agent. Make it super professional. You know, what kind of mom do, wouldn't want that? I don't think my mom would want that. 
Yeah. yeah. But, you know, he was just kind of playing that part. And there was a part of his mom that wanted to live out her own FBI dreams because she's always been into true crime. So she was like, OK, but, you know, one condition. I want to talk to the prison warden, which is like, you know, the guy who runs the prison. That's like saying, I want to talk to your parents before you go on this sleepover. Like, I want to talk to the principal before you go on this school field trip. Like, it doesn't really work like that in prison. Right. I want to know what are the visiting guidelines. I want to know all of that. Uh So he gets John on the phone. Right. He gets Gacy on the phone and he says, hey, Gacy, my mom says I might be able to go if you get the warden on the phone. He says, easy, easy, breezy cover girl. I got you. So they start talking on the phone. Now, his mom gets on the phone with John Wayne Gacy. So they're having a conversation. Wait, wait, wait. The mom is talking to... Yeah. Jason's mom gets on the phone with John Wayne Gacy Does first. she know it's... Yeah. Oh. She knows. And she says, what's going to stop you from harming my son or making sexual advances or even killing him? I mean, you're on death row. You don't really have anything to lose. Your scheduled execution is like, I don't know, two months away. No. Yeah. And he tells Jason's mom, okay, first of all, ma'am, I've never killed anyone. (laughs) Okay. It's just perfect. Secondly, if I hurt your son in any way, they would take away all of my privileges, which like doesn't make sense because what do you really have to lose? You know, a serial killer wants to kill one last time versus TV in your room for another two months. Like, what are you going to choose? But before he can even say anything, the warden comes on the line and she says, oh, are you the warden? Well, how can I be sure that nothing bad's going to happen to my son? And he says, well, you can never be completely sure about anything, Mrs. Moss, but we take a lot of safety precautions here at Menard. Will he be able to touch Jason or like be near him? No, no, no. That won't even be possible. They're seated in two different rooms. There's a glass between them. And, you know, John's legs and hands, they'll be shackled as well. There's also a guard in the room where the visitor is seated and it's monitored at all times. And, you know, John Wayne Gacy, he gets visitors all the time. He's getting old. Surprisingly, he can actually be fun sometimes so people like visiting him what and i don't think a guy who's trying to get out on appeal will risk his whole life and postponement of his execution to try something stupid and let me reassure you again all he could do is try the security here is just too tight so she hangs up and she says okay well i guess then you can go now the only problem was that wasn't the warden I knew it. It was one of the guards that pretended to be the warden so that the parents would feel reassured. John had paid a guard to make this phone call, pretending to be the warden. I've never heard such a nice... I've never heard the warden warden. get on the phone with anyone, especially someone like a visitor, maybe like a DA's office. But you think they're going to be talking to all the parents of all the visitors who want to talk to serial killers and just being like, it's just a school field trip. It's going to be right. It's going to be fine, Mm ma'am. No. What the heck? They're busy being shady. They're busy making money off of prisoners. You think they want to talk to visitors' parents? Now, things were not going to go as planned at all, okay? But Jason was confident. He knew that that wasn't the warden. He kind of guessed it. But the conditions would still be as explained. I mean, you're talking about death row. (laughs) Of course, there's going to be glass between them. They're going to be talking through a phone like you see in all those TV shows. So he gets on a plane to Illinois. Now, this is his first time traveling alone, and he's only 18 years old. He's so freaking nervous. He knows that Gacy's attorney is going to be meeting him there at the airport to drive him to the hotel, check in, and then drive him to the prison. So the prison visits are going to be spread out through three different days. Now, I don't know how death row visitor hours work, but apparently they're going to be meeting for hours at a time every single day. Now, this is where I need to put a quick disclaimer. There has been um, 
somewhat provable evidence that all of these letters and all of these phone conversations have happened, right? Because other people have seen the evidence of, oh, this is from John Wayne Gacy. This is handwriting. This is from the correctionals facility. Mm-hmm. The visit does happen. He does go to Illinois. He has pictures with John Wayne Gacy. He meets John Wayne Gacy. But we don't know what happens inside those prison walls. Hmm. We don't know the truth. We don't know if they really sat behind a glass wall and just had the most mundane conversation of, do you like bagels or do you like croissants, right? We don't know if that happened or if this happened. But this is Jason's account of everything. So he had packed all of his bags for this prison visit and he had closed for the next three days. He had a notebook of all of the information that he had given Gacy to kind of debrief himself on everything to make sure that his lies are still right. He had a notepad because he wanted to rush back to the motel, write down everything that he could remember in every single conversation for the couple of hours that he had spent with Gacy. So he Mm -hmm. lands in St. Louis and he starts waiting for the lawyer to show up. Now he waits about 10 minutes and he's looking for... Someone, I don't know, that looks like a lawyer, right? But then he sees this guy waving at him. And he's this really short, somewhat overweight, chain smoker, just reeked of cigarettes that seemed super nervous. Definitely not an attorney, right? And he's looking at him like, are you Ken? Yeah, I'm Ken. So as they're walking out of the airport, he realized this is not an attorney. This is actually one of um, John Wayne Gacy's errand boys in Illinois crazy to have errand boys so he it seemed like he's like a family friend he would bring gacy supplies give him magazines run errands for him he loved the attention he loved telling all of his friends that he and gacy are best friends which really is not a flex at all but whatever i guess so jason really liked ken until they got to the hotel because you know ken tells the front desk service yeah we're gonna need one room (gasps) Now, this shook up Jason because he already knew what that meant, that Gacy probably wanted them to do something together so that Ken would report back and say like, oh, we did this and this and this. Right. And so he freaks out and he says, no, 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 no. My parents would be super pissed. They would never let me stay. Like, I'd literally have to go back tomorrow. Like, I'd have to get on a plane tomorrow. No, no, no. I'm going to pay for my own room. I thought you didn't have any money. My parents will pay for this room. My parents will pay for they will never forgive me. And so he fought and he fought. And finally, he got a room of his own and he paid for it. And Ken straight up told him, you know, it'd be a lot easier if we stayed in the same room. That's the way that John wanted it. And then he just kind of shrugged as if to imply like, well, you said no. So I guess you're going to have to deal with John Wayne Gacy. So they get to the prison and it looks really intense. There's close to like 20 different guard towers. Once they walk in, he's got to sign like 20 million different things, 20 million different waivers. The guards aren't held liable for your safety. The prison isn't held liable for your safety. And he questioned one of the forms. He was like, what? What am I signing on this one? And the guard says, in the unlikely event hostages are taken inside the prison, we won't negotiate your release. If something happens in there, if there's a riot or an escape, you know, if we won't give an inmate as much as a pack of cigarettes for your release, because if we did that, the prisoners would do it all the time. Love that. Love that. So he's like, oh, cool okay so where do i sign so he like signs all these papers and he gets led by a guard down the hall and the guard's like yeah get gacy he's got a visitor you know saying all this stuff and his heart's pounding the whole place like the visitor area smells like burnt coffee and like shitty cigarettes just really nasty and he asked the guard like do you feel safe working here with all these convicts and he's like what i mean aren't you like afraid that you're gonna get attacked Mm, not really if you treat them right they'll treat you good but if you treat them like shit then you gotta expect trouble back what do you mean by that 
Well, there was this guard that we named Leaky. We call him that now because he was dragged into a cell and he was stabbed 18 times in the chest and the stomach. Now he's kind of off his power trip. But we call him Leaky. Oh, he's just stabbed in the cell. Oh, did he die? No, still alive, still works here. But he's nicer to everyone now. Just a little leaky. Just a little leaky, though. Oh, God. Uh, So finally, the guard leads him to where Gacy is waiting. And they open up the room and he sees Gacy. And he's just wearing a pair of loose handcuffs. He's not shackled. There's, you know, a guard next to him. And they get in. They close the door. And the guards both step outside, lock the door, and walk away. Now, this room has no glass divide. They're in one room? They're in the same room together, according to Jason Moss. And so he immediately screams out the little window of the door, right? He's like, um, hello, excuse me, where are you guys going? And they just look back at him and they shake their head and continue walking. Now, meanwhile, Gacy is just watching him laughing, like just kind of giggling about this whole thing. Now he's completely alone in this visiting room with John Wayne Gacy. So this is where people, you know, question it. Some people are saying this would never happen on death row with such a highly publicized serial killer. If anything happened to a visitor, which, by the way, this visitor is the poster child for his victim M.O. Like this is he's 18 years old. He's built. You know, this is this is literally Gacy's kryptonite. This is the type of victims that Gacy goes after. How would they let him have a visitor like this, unsupervised, without a glass divide? Do you know what could happen to this prison if something happened to Jason Moss? They would never risk it. That's what a lot of arguments are. And then you have the other spectrum of people saying, it's not the prison risking it. It's a couple of guards who are making money off of this risking it. Does that make sense? It's mm-hmm. not like the warden is like, oh, yeah, do it for sure. It's like three guards that are like, hey, he's going to pay us this much money. Let's just fucking make it happen. Make sure no one finds out. Mm-hmm. We're just going to do it like this. So it's kind of up in the air. Could something like this even happen? We don't know. I do know that shit happens in prison where you can pay for guards to, quote unquote, walk away while you beat up in a, another inmate. 2021 we're doing a little bit different credit karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions and now they can help you even more with credit karma money spend account you can actually be rewarded for your good money habits i know a lot of people that don't really like the idea of having a credit card but they want to be rewarded for good money habits credit karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases when you use your credit karma money debit card you can win daily instant karma purchase reimbursement on items up to $5,000. You just pay with your debit card and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your instant karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Credit Karma Money has already given away over $3 million in instant karma to over 50,000 Credit Karma members and counting. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. Credit Karma Money, Progress starts here. Right now, visit creditkarma.com slash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma. Go to creditkarma.com slash win money to sign up for free and start winning instant karma. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Inc. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. 
He said that he was um, just like a short, overweight, aging, jolly-looking fellow. He was kind of shocked. Jason describes him to look like that weird uncle that you kind of put up with because, I mean, he's so annoying and almost a little bit creepy, but he just means well, you know? Like, he's just kind of a jolly, annoying uncle. Like, the one that, like, laughs too loud and thinks that he's funny. And you're like, oh, you're not funny, but I know you're not trying to hurt me, so fine, I'll laugh. It's kind of like that. His hair was perfectly combed back and it was styled with just this super thick, slick oil, just so much oil in his hair. And then when they went to shake hands, the smell of John Wayne Gacy was nauseating. Just all that baby oil that's in his hair. And he had sprayed this just like thick cologne, like sickly sweet cologne all over himself. And as they shake hands, you know, he's trying to look at look at him in the face and Gacy's just staring blatantly at Jason's crotch area. And he says, nice to see you and starts caressing his index finger in like the inside of Jason's wrist. No. And they sit down in the corner of the room and it was perfectly laid out. Just two chairs so close to each other. Not a table in between. Just felt so claustrophobic. And they sit down together. And it would just be impossible for Jason to like stay physically far away from this killer. Now, there was a massive file folder labeled um, top secret case files on the ground. What? (laughs) So this is John Wayne Gacy's top secret case files. This is like everything about his appeals, everything about his entire case. But he he wrote on it top secret case files. Super cool, super discreet. I think it's got like um, an air of mystery around it. Like, oh, is it a cookbook? Is it top secret case files? I don't know which one. That's what's happening. Okay, so he's got that in the corner. And we later find out that it's filled with the autopsy results of every single victim. Copy of all the appeals to the Supreme Court. Documents that, you know, said that Gacy was framed. Why does he have that there? I don't know. He just brings it with him everywhere. Brings it from the cell to the visitor's room. And the security camera was pointed facing the wall throughout the whole experience. That's what Jason Moss said. There is a security camera. But it's been, you know, how you can move it. Yeah. Now it's facing the wall. So they're mm. out of view. It's facing the wall. Yeah. So he's he's a freaking out. Right. And he realized that Gacy was really close with the guards during all of this. They had nicknames for each other. He was probably paying them quite a bit. So at one point, you know, when they bring lunch over, he didn't like it. He'd just request something else. And the guards would scurry off as if they're waiters at a Michelin star restaurant. Like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Not that they're prison guards for a death row inmate. How long were they there? Why are they bringing lunch? Yeah, they would have lunch together for two days. So it dawned on him that he is alone in this locked, unmonitored room with a serial rapist, torturer, and serial killer. And, you know, John Wayne Gacy has strangled and killed many boys just like him. And Gacy's having the time of his life. He keeps saying, like, oh, God, this is this is perfect. I can't believe this. I can't believe I'm meeting you. Man, and the more nervous Jason was getting, Gacy was just more at ease. So at first, they start talking about these very mundane things. How's the weather? How's your flight? You know, did you and Ken become best buds? And he starts pulling out a stack of fan letters, interview requests from his top secret case files. And he's saying things like, Ugh, look at them. I told them all, no, they want to they wanna interview me. But I set aside three full days for you to spend with you. So then... Gacy gets up to the door to see where the guards are. He like pokes his head, you know, to try to see. 
And Jason's confused and scared. Like, why is he looking for the cards? So he continues looking at these fan mail, just like, oh, this one's cool. And now Casey sits back down on his chair, but he's different now. He's sitting with his like legs spread and his chest is fully inflated. And he's staring intently at Jason. It was the most intense, powerful feeling of emptiness that he had ever felt. There was no warmth. There was no humanness in his eyes. Just something about him staring at him felt feral. And he said, it was like a switch of personality. He said, you're here with me now, Jason. I brought you here. You'll do whatever I say. You know that, right? Are we clear about that? And he just said, yes. And he starts running these scenarios in his head. Jason is like, okay, well, I'm bigger. I'm younger. I'm stronger. His hands are cuffed. I mean, I could probably try to like knock him out with this chair, right? But Gacy keeps saying, you know how weak you are, right, Jason? And he keeps saying, um, yeah, but can I see more stuff from your folder now? And just trying to distract him. Mm-hmm. And he says, you know, I could tell you to fuck off and you just have no one. What the hell would you do without me? And he started like inching closer to Jason. You know, if I was a bad guy, I'd tell the cops what you do with your brother. They would take him away. And he starts touching his crotch nonstop, John Wayne Gacy allegedly, during this whole conversation. And he would say things like, you'd go to jail. Do you want to go to jail? While he's like touching himself through the pants. And so for the next two hours, John Wayne Gacy just berates him. Just nonstop. Like, do you know how stupid you are? And at this point, I mean, he's just like whining. He's like, yes. And he said that he knew that he was trying to play a character, but he didn't know if he was playing that character anymore because like, what? And then all of a sudden, he just like snapped out of it. He went from being like, do you know how stupid and worthless you are? to just fixing his posture and being like, yeah, how's your flight? Did you sit next to anyone interesting? And he thought, I mean, Jason thought he was going crazy. Like, did I just freaking imagine all of that? What? Absolutely. What is going on here? Right? So then the food arrives. The guards bring the food into the visiting room. They start eating lunch. Jason had no idea that they were going to eat lunch together. He had no idea that any of this was happening. He thought it was going to be like an hour between a glass wall, just asking him questions about the murders. The guard brings in two trays. It's got roast beef, applesauce, a glass of milk, an apple, and some bread. The roast beef was green, very tough, very smelly, he said. And Gacy just immediately starts stuffing his face. And he's like, go on, Jason, eat. This is one of the best meals we get. I ordered it special for you. And so he's like, okay, well, maybe now he's in a good mood. Now's my chance to be FBI agent. So he starts trying to bring up the victims. Now, there was one victim, which if you guys watch the podcast, you'll know more about. But um, he had had consensual sex with John Wayne Gacy. And that next morning, he had made breakfast, remember? Mm -hmm. And he had brought the knife in because he was just like cooking up the breakfast and trying to wake up John, like Gacy, and be like, hey, wake up. Like, I'm making breakfast, right? But he had brought the knife into the room. And so Gacy, I don't know if he knew or didn't know, but he decided oh, this is, he's trying to kill me. I got to kill him first. So he ended up killing him, went out to the kitchen, realized Mother Forker was just making breakfast for him. That's how he like, he said it so nonchalantly. Oh, he's just making breakfast for me. Oh shit, oops. So he keeps bringing that up. He's like, well, I mean, you had to have known that he wasn't trying to kill you. It's not like he was just like holding it right next to your face or right next to his face. 
And he just kept saying, well, you shouldn't stand over someone holding a knife while they're sleeping. Let me let me tell you something, Jason. You can tell when someone's dead because he shits all over the floor. I mean, the kids stunk up my place. I dropped him off in my crawl space. So he's like, oh, shit. This is like the first admission of guilt. But like, side note, nothing's being recorded. Nobody's around. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So he's like, what? What do I do? And he's like reeling from this information. And, you know, Gacy's getting agitated by this. And he walks towards the door again and looks for the guards. And he's like getting scared. Jason's like, well, when are the guards going to come back? They promised that we could take a picture together. And sure enough, he switched again. And his whole personality changed. And Gacy said, the guards are on the other side of the bars. You know how long it's going to take them to get here if you screamed? Probably two minutes. I could kill you if I want. You know that, don't you? I could get this pen, stick it right here in your neck, and you'll bleed to death all over the floor by the time you get any help. Um, I, I know, I know. He just kept saying, I know, I know. Thank you for not killing me. <laughs> because, I mean, he just didn't know what to do. He didn't want to agitate him more. And he said, there's just something about it. There's something different from some rando saying on the street, like, hey, I could kill you. And someone like him saying it, like it just paralyzes you. And he said, I have a special treat for you, Jason. And he reached down into his sock and pulled out a packet of baby oil. And he explained that he wanted to use it to sodomize him. And he said, see that chair over there in the corner? That's where I would do it. They wouldn't find your body until all your blood ran on the floor. And he asked Jason to stand up. And he's like, why? Well, I haven't seen your whole body since you got here. Let me just see. So Jason stands up and he quickly runs to the top secret case files that's back on the floor. And he picks it up and sits immediately back down. And he starts kind of browsing through it. Just like, okay, maybe if I ignore him, he's going to stop and he might get, you know, absorbed into this. So now John Wayne Gacy is standing behind him, looking over his shoulder at these case files. And all of a sudden, there's hands on his neck. And he gets dragged up out of his seat and pinned up against the wall. And he's ready. I mean, at this moment, he's thinking about fighting back with all of his strength. I'm going to grab a chair. I'm going to kill him if I have to. And that's when he realizes that Gacy is not trying to kill him, not trying to strangle him, but he's trying to kiss him. So he breaks away and he sits back down and now, you know, Gacy's mad. What's wrong, Jason? You need to relax. And he sits back down next to him and he says, you're so pretty, you little hustling bitch. Like someone who is like hustling people for money, I guess. And he was angry again. And he was like saying very sexually aggressive things like you wander the streets hustling And Jason, I mean, he's just looking down the whole time, trying to like block it out, trying to just get through it. And when he looks up, he realized that somehow Gacy had taken out his genitals and was masturbating. And Gacy was allegedly saying things like you sell your ass, you know, and starts describing how you can't pull that hustling shit on me and kept screaming at him to look at my, you know, and he's like did you look at it and he's screaming more and jason had no idea what to say so he just said yes it's it's very nice and that is when if this really happened it's incredibly disturbing and if it didn't happen it's incredibly infuriating but allegedly at this point gacy said do you know how many little shits died for this what about his genitals 
And so, I mean, he just keeps going, telling him how he's going to like pee on him. So Jason just breaks down in absolute tears, just full on sobbing at this point. I mean, this was like not an act. Like he's just full on sobbing, saying, John, you said we were friends. Why are you doing this to me? You know, and John just, Gacy looked disgusted that he's crying. So he zipped up his pants and he said, then what the fuck are you doing here? Then just get out. So by the end of this, I mean, it was the end of their first visit and both of them were exhausted, frustrated. Neither of them got what they wanted. And it's hard to imagine that there would be a second date of this. Like, it doesn't make sense. But near the end of the visit, Gacy's super nice. He invites a garden to take several photos of them. And he secretly hands Jason bikini briefs that he pulled out of his own underwear and a silver bracelet that he pulled out of his sock and said, can you wear both of these tomorrow? I also have a new painting for you tomorrow. So he gets back to the hotel and he's telling Ken everything. And Ken said wait that doesn't make sense he's been so good like all of his attorneys have met with him i've met with him we had some family members meet and he's never done some crazy stuff like that and it's like well yeah because nobody that fit his victim profile has ever walked in there so of course he's gonna act like his john wayne gacy family man community member in front of all of these different people so he's like i want to go home i want to go home but for whatever reason ken was like hey it's fine i'm gonna be there the second day not the whole time but i have to visit to make sure that john signed some papers so i can check up on you guys make sure nothing bad is happening and i think there was a part of jason that just didn't he came this far Maybe there just needed one more day. Maybe he could think for a little bit and he could come up with how to question him about the murders. Are you getting frustrated? You look so frustrated. So the second I day. I don't with think he ever got anything. any close to, yeah. to anything. Like So the second day, he's, you know, Gacy is acting completely normal, asking if Ken and Jason got along. He even said, did he try to fuck you? And he was like, no. Oh, well, good. I told him to treat you like a son. And he was like, well, did you wear the things? He had the silver bracelet on. He lied about having the underwear on. But how is Gacy going to know? Right. So they start off by going through the top secret case files, going through each of the autopsy results. And it was just like the strangest thing because Gacy claimed that he didn't kill them. But at the same time, he said that they all deserve to die anyway because of the types of lives that they lead. You know, something was bound to happen. It wasn't me, but something was going to happen. Even if I did kill them in this crazy fictional world that the court wants you to believe, it was all their fault. They went out onto the streets. They hustled their asses. That's why they got fucked over. So then, you know, Jason's trying to play into it. He's like, well, John, if it's not you, who killed these boys? And he says, well, we think it's a group of, you know, a group of guys, probably drug related. So he's like, we, as in me, (laughs) but like we, we think the theory is. And he was like, well, the state contends that I was the killer, that I had all this anger and rage. Shit, I had no time to kill anyone, even if I wanted to. I was running a $600,000 a year business. I didn't have time, but it doesn't matter anyway. Do you want to see the way that I supposedly killed these boys? What? They said that I did something with a rope. You want to see the rope trick that they claimed that I did? Give me your wrist. So he gave him the wrist. He took the wrist where he has the silver bracelet that he told him to wear. Uh And he stuck a pen underneath the bracelet and started twisting the pen. And he said, I could have some fun. I really could. And then he starts grabbing Jason's hand and pulling it with his handcuffed hands to his crotch area. 
and he kept saying, do you remember what we talked about yesterday? And Jason's trying to like pull back his hand and saying things like, you mean about your case? And he's saying, you know what I'm talking about. And he started bringing it closer and he starts like fumbling to get his zipper open. And he's like tightening his hand on Jason's, you know, hand because he has handcuffs on. He's trying to like open his pants, but hold his hands and his knuckles are turning white. And finally, Jason managed to break free from his grab, his grasp. But but now, you know, he's got his genitals out. And his face starts getting redder and he's yelling at Jason about these really vicious, brutal, sexual things that he wanted to do to Jason. But at this point, because Jason's about to have another mental breakdown, he's having a hard time remaining, keeping his bonbon, just starts yelling louder. It seems like the way to keep his bonbon is to yell louder about, I can't wait to R word you, like just really disgusting stuff and starts screaming at him to like take off his clothes. So he starts crying. And again, I think that this is why some people have a lot of doubts about this. Timing is everything. He said around that time, a guard came in. Uh So he's like fumbling to put everything back on. Ken came in with the guards. So he's here to sign some papers with Ken that Ken had brought. And they had another death row inmate with them. And Andrew Coco Rallies, otherwise known as Coco. Uh And this is a death row inmate that Gacy was friends with. And he wanted he wanted Jason to spend time with this guy, interview this guy for his school project or whatever he needed while Gacy worked on his uh, papers that he needed to sign just so strange so they're like sitting off to the side which like I, again it sounds crazy there's two death row inmates you know i don't know if this is supervised this one or if this one's not supervised feels like a party what's going on especially if you know andrew's criminal history so he belonged to a group called the ripper crew the chicago rippers and the leader was a man by the name of robin getched I don't know if I'm saying that right, but he was accused of molesting his own sister and they had Edward that was a part of the group. And then the two brothers, Thomas and Andrew, we're talking about Andrew. So they were super into Satanism, cannibalism, rape, necrophilia, serial killings, all of that. They are suspected to be responsible for the disappearances of 18 different women. Now, these assaults were brutal. They would drive in their van, see a woman walking alone, snatch them off the street, sometimes in broad daylight, gang rape them. And in a lot of cases, the woman's breasts were cut off. So they would eat, they would each eat a piece of the breast that they had cut off and Robin, the leader, would place it into his box of breasts as a trophy. One of the members admitted to having seen at least 15 boobs in the box at once. One of the survivors would later tell the police that they had actually forced her to cut off her own breast. So as she was trying to cut off her own breast while she's terrified for her life, you know, one of the guys got so crazy at the sight of this that they took over, completely cut off her breast, masturbated into her wound and then duct taped her wound closed. And then they threw her out of the van and she survived. So he's just like sitting in the room with this dude. What? And immediately when they sat down, this guy is just rapid fire asking him questions like, Jason, I heard you're in school. What is what is school like? Do you live at school? It's college, right? What, what's what's college like? What's campus like? And he's asking these rapid fire questions. So Jason's like, wow, he wants to get to know me. So he starts describing, yeah, well, campus is like a couple miles from my house. No, I'm living at home. And the guy doesn't seem like he's intrigued at all. So after further conversation, turns out Andrew has an incredibly distorted reality. He thought college was a massive orgy feast, you know, and just thought that he he would talk about, oh, yeah, college is great. Girls are walking around naked all the time because the only time that he's really seen college with context was in porn magazines and porn videos. 
What? So he has never really seen like a college campus or has experienced it. So he genuinely thought that that's that's true. What these porn videos are are true. So Jason, being the great, great talker he is, starts just like making up shit. He's like, yeah, whenever a guy sees a pretty girl on campus, he just walks up to her and announces to her everything that he wants to do with her. And it usually works. And, you know, Andrew's getting excited. He's like, oh, my God, could you send me some pictures of girls on campus? And he's like, yeah, totally. And he's just eating out of Jason's hand. And Jason made a mental note to start correspondence with him. Because he was like, oh, this guy trusts me already. See, th- th- this doesn't even get anywhere, right? Like, he's he just want to develop exactly. a relationship with these killers. For what? Okay, side note, I think it's kind of like Ken. I think... Ken? You know how I said Ken is the family friend of John Wayne Gacy? Just wants to tell people they're friends. I mm. think he just wants to tell people that he's quote-unquote interviewed serial killers. That he picked their minds. But I don't think that he did but any of that. But is he telling anyone though? These oh, I guess things? No. He... Okay, but you're yeah. saying that Ken is trying to tell people. Yeah. But Jason, Jason is not telling anyone. Well, Jason will tell people. He will have like seminars on it oh, almost. Okay. Like make it a mine hunters type shit type vibe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> type shit type vibe. So the last two hours with Gacy now, I mean, he's turning up the threats. He keeps threatening, you know, now that they're alone, he keeps threatening Jason again. I'm going to turn you into the law enforcement because you're doing this stuff with your brother. You could go to jail, blah, 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 blah. And it was just, they keep crying and it was just so intense. And finally, the time is up. Now, he keeps saying, well, it's okay. I'm going to see you tomorrow. I can't wait to see you tomorrow. So they say their goodbyes. Gacy gives him a painting, a signed photo of um, Gacy for his brother. (laughs) Can you imagine? And a copy of Question of Doubt, which is a limited circulation manuscript that Gacy wrote, which is pretty much bullshit. It's like, hey, I'm Gacy, and I don't think that I should be executed. And he had no idea that Jason had no intention of coming back. So his idea, I think, that was maybe if this really did happen for the past two days, he is grooming this guy, conditioning Jason to feel like a compliant victim, to feel like if he does do something, he's not going to tell a prison guard. He's not going to scream for help. Mm-hmm. He, he feels worthless. He feels like he needs Gacy in his life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what like the first two days were about. And I think the third day, I think he might have, you know, forced him to do something if these conditions were true, if they had this room alone together. So on his way back to the hotel, he's just shooken up. He calls Gacy from the hotel that night and he says, I can't go. I can't go. Like my dad's in a bad mood. You know, I, he wants me back home. So when he gets home, I mean, he says that he's completely done with Gacy. I'm not doing this anymore, right? But Gacy is still calling him nonstop, threatening to turn him into the police, also saying that he should visit him during summer break, which is confusing because he's about to be executed before then. But that's just how much Gacy believed that he wouldn't be executed. So when he gets home, he's hurt. He's confused. He's completely alone. He doesn't want to tell his parents. And when he gets home, he has letters waiting from him from Manson from Ramirez from Henry Lee Lucas and Elmer Wayne Henley they finally wrote back and he just didn't even bother opening them because the threats of like what what if he does tell the cops so finally he feels like he has no option but to tell his parents everything so he sits them down and he says I did something really bad I tried to keep talking to him so I made up these lies and now he's threatening to go to the police and they might take Jared away and I might go to prison and I don't know what to do so they get him an attorney's and make him sign an affidavit saying that all of these were works of fiction. So, I mean, it just tore his family apart. 
So this whole time, he's just trying to get his life together. He had broken up with his girlfriend, neglecting that. He's neglecting all of his friendships. He lost his brother's trust. His schoolwork is suffering. So he's trying so hard to kind of build this back up. But at the same time, he's getting so depressed because he was so happy to not be talking to these serial killers. But he missed the excitement that it brought to his life. I mean, without these letters, his life seems so boring now. Now, after time passes, Gacy's execution was a media firestorm. Everyone was talking about it again. And the family invited all of the friends over. They put it on the TV. They ordered pizza, chicken wings to watch the execution as like a final moment. He can't hurt us anymore. We're done with this chapter. Now, years passed since he's cut off contact with most of these serial killers. He would actually go meet Henry Lee Lucas in prison later with his professor, oddly. So years pass. He has these regrets. He feels like it damaged his entire family. And he has a lot of pain for what he did. It was just too much. He still has nightmares about Gacy trying to kill him. Sometimes it's Richard Ramirez's giant hands on him. The smell of Gacy, he can't get it out of his head. He wakes up suddenly in the middle of the night because it's dark in his room. And he feels like one of these people are standing in the corner. And he said that Gacy was right. He just couldn't escape him. So Jason Moss goes on to graduate from college and he does an internship with the Secret Service in Las Vegas. He actually meets the president and the wife when they're in town. And then he does another internship at the um, Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco and Firearms, ATF. When he went to meet Henry Lee Lucas in prison, he took his professor with him and the professor was actually amazed at how well he was handling himself. Now, to be fair, Henry Lee Lucas... (sighs) different relationship i think that they had Mm -hmm. and he decides that he wants to study law so he goes to the university of michigan law and he graduates and he starts up his own criminal defense practice in nevada and he gets married and on june 6th 2006 he took his own life in his house with a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head this book had already been released they were actually in talks of turning it into a movie he had a successful law practice he had his family And he took his life. Now, the date caused a bunch of theories because, I mean, without the date, you would think, well, so much has happened. A decade has passed. There's school, there's work, there's stress, there's family life. There's so much. I mean, this happened so long ago. But -hmm. because of the date, people couldn't help but wonder, does this have anything to do with any of this? Mm -hmm. And his co-author, the professor, right, that helped him write this book, he mentioned that during the writing of all of these serial killers and the book, Jason had done a lot of research into satanic rituals because of Richard Ramirez and he said and I quote it struck me that he did it on that day I wonder if that's a coincidence or if he planned to do it on that day for a reason he wasn't particularly religious but he got heavily into satanic stuff while doing the book he studied it but I thought he was just laughing it off we talked recently nothing seems strange in one of the letters that Gacy had written to Jason Jason had um, fictionally talked about how he wanted to take his life because his dad was being so mean mm-hmm And Gacy wrote to him, when the time comes, you'll know how to do it. In 2010, they made a movie out of the book called Dear Mr. Gacy. It's like a fictional movie. I haven't watched it. I heard it's it's interesting. (laughs) Now, there's some questions that remain, right? I think the biggest question is, how much of this is true? We do know that he met Gacy. But what if they met and they just were allowed one picture? We know that he had letters and lots of recorded phone calls from Gacy and some of them were sexual in nature. But I mean, I think the biggest part of this was what happened when he went to visit him. Mm -hmm. And uh, we don't know. 
We don't know. A lot of people have speculations about it because if this was anyone but a highly public death row inmate, maybe. But I mean, hmm. the United States was always already made a mockery because John Wayne Gacy had a picture with the first lady. <laughs> so you think that they would just let that happen again? I mean, I don't know, right? Especially when just like the perfect victim is visiting him. This doesn't make sense. So that's the main question. And then the next theory is, well, why did he even write to these people? Because it doesn't seem like he did it for the FBI. It yeah. doesn't seem like it at all. So the main theory, well, the first theory is maybe Jason was a serial killer in the making. Sounds crazy, but what if he's like reaching out to like learn about them? Maybe he idolizes them, but then realized, you know what? I'm not a serial killer. I don't know. That's a theory. The second theory is maybe he genuinely was confused about his sexuality and maybe he grew up reading true crime and just in some weird, sick, twisted way, this was his opportunity to find out who he was. Mm -hmm. Maybe he genuinely felt like they wouldn't judge him versus somebody else. Theory number three is that he's just this really arrogant, privileged, sheltered dude who did not realize that he is no match to any of these people, that he didn't realize that he was in danger inviting them into his life, even if they are behind prison bars. Like, what the heck? And then another theory is that Jason just wanted to get a career for himself, you know? Whether that's with the FBI or whether that's with writing a book. Now, hmm. the last chapter of The Last Victim, the book, kind of puts Jason on a pedestal that he did this for a noble deed to try and find out more information on these people but he just got a little bit in too deep that he was in overhead over his head he underestimated them but it also went on to slam journalists and women who send pictures of themselves to these evil people which I find to be super hypocritical what yeah it was just saying like it's because the world loves to talk about these types of people and they get all of this access to interviews and that's why more people at home will be like, mm, maybe I should write to them. So I, I just, I mean, I think that's a good point, but maybe not in this book. Yeah. It's like the worst, what? And then like with the title of this book. Now the controversy of the title of this book. There was a ton of controversy with this book. I, I browsed through Reddit threads. A lot of people say that it does seem like there was a deeper look into the psychology of these killers, meaning the sense of even though that they're behind bars, you've mm -hmm. got a well-educated kid. You've got a smart kid with loving parents, you know? I mean, he, he lives in a pretty average, you know, household. It's not the perfect family, but they're not abusive towards him. And he thinks he can take them on. But even with just letters and phone calls, I mean, these killers know how to manipulate you and how to make you work for them and how to how to just trap you and isolate you. Mm -hmm. So some people think that it is deeper insight. But I think that I think we already knew that we didn't need proof of that. Is it exploitation of these killers? That's what some people ask. Was he exploiting these killers and talking about their private conversations? I don't really think so. I do think that um, the title is where it's bad. I think in his own right, if everything in the book did happen, I think in his own right, in his own life, he is a victim of John Wayne Gacy, especially if these things are true. However, in respect to the families of the 33 people who lost their lives, I just... I would find it so difficult and almost insulting to those families to call him Gacy's last victim because he sought it out. He orchestrated it, you know, and mm -hmm. I think most of Gacy's victims, they didn't seek it out. They had no idea. They didn't yeah. want this. They didn't know that he was an evil person. If anything, maybe they trusted him. Maybe they were snatched. 
I think he just kind of had a big ego. I think when I first started getting into true crime and I'm like reading all these things, I'm like, ah, oh, that's so fascinating. Maybe I could one day write to one of these people. Like, what would that be like? Not in the sense of like, oh, I can totally get out information that nobody else has. But in the sense of like, this is this is insane. I would want to pick their brain. Right, but now, now I'm like disgusting. I yeah. don't want to pick their brain. Their brain should be picked by psychiatrists and psychologists, and we should talk about it so we know what's going on in the world. Yeah. But not, not to like write to. The, don't write to killers. Don't write to killers. Are you guys even writing to your parents on holidays? Did you send them a card on Mother's Day or Father's Day? If you haven't done that, don't even think about writing to a prison. Okay, thank you. <laughs> let me know what are your thoughts on this one this one was a bit more of a rant versus a case but i will be back on wednesday with a very very intense case and i hope you guys enjoyed and i'll see you guys on wednesday bye